welcome back to the Coaches Rising podcast. I hope this finds you well. And in case you weren't aware, this podcast is for coaches doing deep transformational work. And I mean, just really, we have a lot of people tuning in too. are just really passionate about this journey of being human, the transformational journey of being human. And so in today's conversation, I'm going to be speaking with Paul Sonnefeld. We're going to talk about systemic work. Paul is a coach and a trainer of coaches, does a lot of work with clients in big organizations. We're going to speak about working with the system. Why is that so important? What happens when you don't include the system in any individual change work? How do you begin to see a system and diagnose a system? What lenses does Paul bring uh, to systemic work that allow him to really get a clean idea about what's going on and really tune into these acupressure points that you can then create powerful interventions for that create flow in an organization for. So we'll talk about that whole process. How do you diagnose? How do you create an intervention? And also how this work is not just purely mm, conceptual, it's actually energetic work. Uh, as I said, Paul has been doing this work for decades now and he is a coach, he's a trainer of coaches and collaborates, works closely with people like Mobius, Executive Leadership, who rock, and Egon Zender as well. So yeah, just really, really got a lot of wisdom and experience on this topic. So just before we dive in, if you would be willing to share this podcast, I'd really appreciate it. Just gets the word out to as many coaches as possible. And if you're not on our mailing list and you want to join our community and stay in the loop about other things in this podcast, you can head to coachesrising.com and just scroll down there. You'll find a sign up box, put your name in and you'll join our community. All right. So let's dive in. Here's the podcast with Paul Sonnefeld. It's good to be with you, Paul. Mm. And um, I'm really touched by this experience you just guided us into or guided me into and um mm. yeah the the um necessity perhaps for this kind of work we're going to talk about the work you do the systemic yeah uh, work you do with clients and you train people in systemic work um could you say something about for you why this work is important in the world particularly in these times but maybe always but why is it important to you and to the world. Mm, I feel I'm going to say something I haven't said before, so thanks for this question. Um, if I look at my own development, if I look at the development in coaching and leadership development, is that we've been focusing a lot on the individual development. How can I become a better coach, a better leader, a better manager, a better husband, a better spouse, a better um, wife, from whatever direction you come. And um, now we've gone through a difficult time as a collective. And I'm, I'm talking in, in past tense, I noticed. So that's good. That's a good uh, sign. Um, and I feel we can't tackle whatever is, is ahead of us as, as just as individuals. We have to look at it more as a collective and as systems looking at where the, the power is and, and the, the health is in, in the collective, in working together, in looking at the individual cannot change a larger system unless you start looking at the systemic level and start to understand the systemic level and then connect to that part where the change is possible. So I think having more knowledge about systemic intelligence, as, as I called it, uh, understanding what drives, what is a system and what drives systems, how we as people are not always part of the organizational system, but we are visitors of that organizational system. And both of us have an influence and understand that better, um, sense that better, gives us a, a, a larger range of making the changes that are needed. Making the changes in organizations, making the changes in our neighborhoods, making the changes where 
they are needed. Yeah, I think that that would be mm -hmm. that would be the answer um, to your question on that. Yeah, it seems like we're one of the defining kind of uh, principles of the times of the last decades has been this like individualism in the West, you know, and perhaps that's actually been one of the things that's led to many of the challenges we're facing. And of course, with it bringing many beautiful things too, but um, I wonder for you if that's um, how you see it, you know, like if this systemic piece has been kind of a missing piece in a way and that um, change becomes much more possible once we start to include it. Mm. I think there is an evolutionary uh, process going on. So unless people develop individually and start and, and are able to see the world differently. Because when you, when you have different beliefs, you start seeing the world differently. If you believe that the world is a dangerous um, threat, then you will, you will organize your thought in a way that you see danger and you see the threat. Well, what, what happens a lot in, in good leadership development and good uh, individual development is that we start seeing more than just the danger or a threat that we start seeing the whole, including all the, all the, the possibilities and all the, the trades and the, and the positives and the qualities. And only once we can see that, we can start looking beyond ourselves. And to start looking at systems needs, for example, that you don't make yourself too important. Don't let your ego play too big of a role because uh, any system is always stronger than the individual anyway. But it's a, a certain way of surrendering to the fact that there's things larger than you as an individual. And at the same time, being able to, once connecting with that system, being able to have an influence on it. Um, and I think that most of the people in, in that development we can have influences on the system that are less ego-driven, that are less, um, that are more beneficial for the collective, and even in organizations that will still let them thrive and let them uh, make progress and let, and let them earn the profits that are needed for the evolution of the next phase of that organization. So, for all stakeholders, and not just for the um, shareholders alone because that's that's that then we are pumping money out of society into a few pockets but if they make profits for the next evolution of that organization or the purpose that they are trying to fulfill uh, most of the time that's going to be beneficial for many if not all so in that evolution of individual awareness to more collective awareness and systems is, is, is a part of, of, of a collective. Um, yeah, I think that is a more natural evolution and it, uh, it helps. At least that was, that was my path. You know, first, I've, I've been, uh, my very first personal development was neurolinguistic programming. And I would not have been able to look at, actually the very first time I was connected with looking at a system through one of my teachers I thought, what kind of strange thing is this? And uh, nah, that's not for me. What are we going to do with this? It's, how is that ever going to be helpful? Well, later on, I, my belief started to change also a little bit. And I started to see, I couldn't always explain how it worked, but I saw the benefits and results of it. And that's when I started to really become interested and how we could apply this in organizations and not just in families where it already was developing very nicely and was, was good for individual coaching, but not for the field that I was working in, which was executive coaching and, and team and, and, and organizational work. So, yeah. So it's from the individual to the system to eventually the collective. Yeah, I like that. I like that. It's kind of a developmental sequence to it. And 
Mm. Um, it makes sense the way you describe that path. And I want to ask you in a moment about what systemic work is and, you know, uh, uh, sorry, what, what, what do you mean by a system, actually? Um, mm -hmm. But also, how do you actually do that work in organizations? But first, I just want to come back to something you said, which I think is interesting. You said, like, we're actually not as important as we think. I think that's kind of your words. And um, yet, I, I, I kind of got the hint of that inside of that, there's actually something that can be quite liberating. And uh, you can actually increase your own effectiveness within the system by recognizing that you are not quite who you thought you were within that system, if that makes mm. sense. I don't know if that, if you, that fits for you. Um, you can... Yeah, absolutely. And, and uh, I've, been, I've been struggling with that in the beginning, obviously, uh, because I'd like to have impact. And, and I do this work because I, I feel I'm drawn to it. I feel that I can make an impact. Um, what I noticed and, and in my journey of, of understanding systems and systemic work better and better, and I'm still, still learning, um, I learned that having no attachment to an outcome having no attachment to even the problem, but listening to the wish of the person who comes in with, with a request, looking at what the system needs or what the system patterns are, um, there is almost a natural development that you see happening between the person who has a request and the system in a, in a kind of a dance um, either through the coaching or doing a consolation to start seeing the patterns and just recognizing the pattern already helps to maybe do a few things differently. You don't even have to change them all the way, all the time. Um, and having less attachment to the outcome for me, even less than when I was normally coaching uh, in, in, in other uh, modalities, um, gave me the opportunity to be inclusive of everything. Um, for example, uh, I worked with a, a group that had put, put themselves together as a, as a coaching organization, and uh, they were four founders, and they were struggling a little bit with um, what was the next step for them. And when they came to me, um, if I wanted to help them look at it systemically, I asked them if they were open that one of the opportunities for the next step was that they would dissolve their organization. And three out of four said, no, that's not an option. Well, if you don't include all the options, you're not wanting to look at where the system is going or if the system has served its purpose, fulfilled its purpose, and it's ready to stop to dissolve, to be ended. And uh, any organization, an organizational system, any man-made system is a system that has once been created and can be stopped by just pulling the plug or just uh, ending it with grace um, or because it has fulfilled its purpose and we can do something else is, is do um, what we call a strategic reorientation, in other words, find for the skills and the qualities that we have a new purpose to be fulfilled, and then you can get more traction again. Um, but having been open to this could become more, this could become better, this could become a different color, but this could also be ending. And when I have no attachment to whatever comes out of that, I have a much more open view and I can, uh, I don't have to adjust what I'm sensing and what I'm seeing to the expected outcome of the client. Yeah. I think that's really beautiful. I, th I hear that a lot and I think it's uh, this idea of letting go of outcomes, you know, um, and, and, being a, and being able to include everything is, is um, again, it's just um, resonant with our times, you know, that we're, uh, we're being invited, I think, as a species to bring that in more because there's a, there seems to be a, um, 
you know, a, a kind of natural, organic evolutionary impulse that can begin to flow when, when we take our hands off and, and allow what wants to happen to happen, not, not in a kind of spaced out, giving up kind of way, but, you know, exactly. through creating a container for that emergence to take place. Yeah. Yeah, one of the, one of my teachers that I spoke to yesterday, and he said, you know, he um, he speaks about um, be willing to be surprised by life, and he gave the example. He said, you know, if a man and a woman come together and they want to create a child, and if that works, then the man has contributed something, the woman has contributed something, and life has contributed something. Because you know, once once the uh, the child is growing in the mother's belly, life is doing a lot of stuff. So a mother is not saying to the little child or the little fetus in her belly all the time, "Okay, now grow your arm, and now do your leg, and now oh, turn around and uh, start creating eyes and stuff." No, we trust life that something good will come out of it, and in systems as well, if we can trust and see where the energy flows and where the flow already exists, that can be very beneficial to also start finding, okay, where are the acupuncture points or the constrictions where it's not flowing? And what, and what can we do there? Something simple that recreates flow. And we all know when we, when we, when there's a beaver in the, in the river creating a dam, that everything stops. And as soon as we help, you know, uplift that, that dam, then the river flows again. And it flows wherever it needs to flow. Not just in a straight way as in a, in a channel, but it flows where it can flow and where it needs to be. And I see that in organizations uh, a little bit the same. Now, what we're looking at is a lot of symptoms. You know, uh, high attrition is a symptom. Uh, not making any money or, or, or losing money is a symptom. Uh, a lot of uh, disputes is a symptom. So most of the things that we're looking at in organizations, we look at that as symptoms. And we apply a few lenses or principles, as we call that in the systemic intelligence work, to look at it to then find out what is the real pattern that is going on here. And once we find the pattern, we can also ask ourselves, what has happened in this organizational system in the past that created or that this pattern was needed for the system to continue what it tries to achieve? And it's not always helpful, that pattern. Um, and it might have been helpful in the past, but not in the present anymore. And maybe we can, by a little intervention, um, uplift the dam and let it flow again. And then we see a lot of symptoms at the same time or at similar times start to, start to dissolve. But maybe it's, it's good to, to get into a little bit of the, the structure of how that work, how it works, because otherwise we'll have a lot yeah. of... Uh, well, let's do that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, just I like it sounds like the development of a person, you know, they take on patterns when they're kids that work, keeps them safe in connection. Yeah. And then suddenly when they're a leader or just an, an adult is no longer functioning in the same way to hear mm -hmm. that, what you're saying with organization. So, yeah, how, how would you where would you take us now to? You know, to I don't know if it's grounding the conversation, because I already think we're getting more specific, but. Um, you know, how, how you actually, how do you actually start to diagnose what's happening in a system? What lenses do you use? And then how do you know what intervention to make? And you can weave in yeah. examples where you feel. Yeah. Um, yeah. Let me, let me um, start at the beginning. This was all basically in the, in the 70s and 80s. Um, Bert Hallinger, German priest and, and therapist uh, started the family constellation world. And um, he mainly had three principles that he started to see evolving out of all the work that he did. 
and, um, and and some people name it a little bit differently, but I, the essence is is similar to uh, how I call it. So the first one in the family system is connection. So how we connect it, and it has a it has a few subtitles, and I'll come to that in organizations. So how are we connected? Are we connected too closely? Are we connected too loosely? How are we doing? Second principle is what, what is the order of things in a family system? And are, is everybody occupying their own place in the system so the energy and the flow of life can really flow? Or like what, what I did uh, when I was younger, am I stepping out of the system? I'm the oldest of three children and step two up and start becoming the judge of my father. So I place myself not only at the level of my father, no, even above him, because I'm, I started to judge him. And, and partly because I had a difficult um, difficulty to emotionally connect with him. So not feeling the pain was easy, was, was easy when I started to judge him. So I didn't need to feel the pain. And the third principle in, uh, that, that uh, was found was uh, the principle of exchange, the give and take between parents and children, where that mainly flows like a waterfall, it flows down. Parents give and children take. And when they've taken enough, or when they've taken what is there available in the family, then you could in essence say they leave the house. And there's much more to say about that, but so that was that was the basis. And um, with a couple of colleagues, we started to look at okay, but how does that work in organization in organizational systems? Is that the same? And in the beginning, we kind of like plugged all these principles onto organizations, and there were some things missing. And and the interpretation of each um, principle started to become a little bit different. So the first thing that was found by, by one, of, uh, one of my colleagues, uh, Jan Jakob Stam, he found by observing that organizational systems, because they're man-made, started by human beings, they have a purpose. An organization is made to fulfill something, something that people are either uh, angry about and they want to change that, or because they feel there's a beautiful new opportunity like um, solar energy, for example, is now coming around the world and uh, was, was, wasn't was used much, but suddenly people say, oh, there are alternative energy uh, systems and potentials. And I, I want to help harvest that, which is a positive uh, purpose. Uh, another purpose could be like, I don't like um, commercial banking and I want to start a different system that is equal trade. And then it's from something that you don't like and you, but it's a purpose to be fulfilled most of the time in service of many others. It's different than a mission where you wanna be the best, the largest market share or anything else. That is an inside out thinking. Most of the time purposes are outside in. How can I serve something? So that's an additional one that gives, gives us an organizational system its direction, what to go for. And, and, uh, and many organizations we, find, we, we work with uh, have lost some of that. They have a mission, but they, they lost some of the purpose. Why, who are we doing this for? Why are we really doing this? Um, then we have the, the connection, the, the one I mentioned earlier. Connection is about everybody who belongs to a system to an organization or to a team are entitled to a place in that system. In other words, exclusion will hinder the flow of connectedness. Um, everything that belongs to the system is also the history of the organization. It's also the emotions that are going on in an organization. And, and sometimes, you know, you have those organizations still you know, check your emotions at the door. And all you can bring is your rationale. So there's an exclusion of emotions, which hinders the flow of the free flow of potential and energy. The second subtitle of connection is nobody can leave unnoticed. And um, to give you an example that uh, one company I worked with where they had, uh, I think the third CEO within five years, which is not a normal attrition. And um, 
and I was asked to if I could help by the, by the CEO at that moment who was who was uh, managing that company and help him because the company wasn't moving forward and people were not listening to the ideas and 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 the good intention of the CEO. So what I started to look at is who was the last CEO that that was successful in his organization and how did the person leave? And what we found was that this person uh, was uh, very well known still in the organization. People, when you asked about him, people were, were you know, beaming of, 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 yeah, of fun and, and success and, and everything that this person has helped to, to create. And then the company was bought by another company and they had asked him to leave, leave the company and uh, given him a nice uh, bag of money. And there was no goodbyes. So this person had left unnoticed, almost unnoticed by through the back door. And in the following four or five years, uh, success of the company started to become less and less and less. And um, so when somebody, what, what actually happened for the, all the other CEOs and for the people in the company, and this is invisible yet very logical for a systems thinker is that in the, in the minds of the people, they still missed this first CEO who was so successful. So in their minds, he was still sitting on the CEO chair. So anybody else who came in that chair, and we call that an occupied chair or an occupied place, could not be successful because they felt they were, you know, you can't sit there because we're still in the mind of the other person. We're still missing this person. So subconsciously, there was still energy leaking to the former CEO, the successful one. And eventually what we did is we started to build up memory and, and, um, of this uh, successful CEO by asking people who had known him to write a little bit in their, in their monthly journal. And we started to talk with HR about how could we honor this person so that this person gets a different place in the organization, an honorable place, to actually to empty the seat and to free the seat for the next CEO. And so they decided on, on uh, putting a plaque in the, uh, in the entrance hall. And, um, and then we saw that there was a shift. That was like the acupuncture needle in, the, in that position. Then we saw a shift in acceptance of the new CEO. And, and the nice thing was when I, and I came back to that organization about four or five years later, they had not only this plaque of this successful CEO, but they had looked into their history and all the previous CEOs were now filling the wall together. So this whole history was uh, embraced, I would say. And, and the history is the roots of an organization. So if you don't have roots, like we all know, if you don't have your roots, you're just, just dangling a little bit. If a tree doesn't have roots, it's easy to, to topple over. If an organization doesn't honor their history, it also becomes easy target either for uh, merger acquisition or to, to go bankrupt. So that, that's all about connection. Then we have order and order is not only the vertical order of uh, the highest and the, the broadest level of responsibility, like the CEO is responsible for the whole organization and then the next level for parts of the organization and down like that. It is also, what is the horizontal order within the team? And what are the criteria that we apply for that? And very often there is no transparency and that, that might be hindering the, the, the flow in, in the team, the cooperation in the team and getting to decisions. And, um, and, the, and the third one is the, the exchange, which is what are the people bringing to the organization? What are the qualities that they bring and how do they get rewarded or um, affirmed that it's appreciated? How do they get appreciated for what they are bringing? The qualities, the time, their lifetime, their energy, their ideas, their, um, their skillfulness. And how is that being appreciated? And obviously money is only a part of that. So those four principles help us to look through the symptoms that we see. I, we use them as lenses. See, where, where do we see that the most, the dam is the, is the thickest, is the highest? 
and is, is really stopping the flow. And then because although we, we have those four lenses and they look like separate lenses, obviously in the system, everything is connected. So when we can change something in one of those lenses or in, in an acupuncture point in one of those lenses, like we did with this CEO that was still there, you start to see that also in, in other parts, call it the other lenses, also things start to change because everything is connected. Now, uh, sometimes I give the example of, of a system and I'll come to the definition of a system in a moment, but a system is like, is, is complex by definition. And in complexity, everything is related to each other. And in an organization, everything is also related to each other. So when, when, when you imagine a, a mobile over a baby's bed, uh, which is just dangling there, and you touch one thing and the whole thing starts to move. And that's exactly how systemic interventions work. And as a last sentence, um, a system, the final definition of a system for us is that a system is a combination of parts with a similar purpose. So a team can be a system. You and I are now a system. It's you and me and the relationship that we have and the conversation that we have. That already is a little system. We have a purpose with this podcast, with this uh, conversation. Um, but also, um, every system is part of a larger system. Like, you know, you are part of your family, but you're also part of Coaches Rising. You're also part of the coaching world. You're also part of not only the coaching world, but everybody who wants to offer service to somebody else. And, and so every system is embedded in a larger system. And uh, once you have a purpose for your system that serves a larger system, there also you see that energy is flowing. And uh, it's, it's constantly stepping back, asking yourself, what is really happening here that I am not seeing yet? That shows me all these symptoms that we can measure and see and talk about in organizations. And then start to apply the questions through those four lenses. And then suddenly you start seeing a different layer. Yeah, I find that. I'm, I'm just um, thinking back to the organizations I've coached inside of and mm. also coaches rising and, and thinking, wow, actually uh, uh, already... Um, what a different way to start to look at some of the challenges that, that has been encountered with both with coaching clients I've worked with, but also within our company. And I can imagine that it saves a lot of hassle because I can imagine people scratching their heads, you know, they're like, what is going on here? What is going on? We keep trying to address this symptom, you know, uh, they don't realize that, but we kind of fix, we're trying to get to it, but we can't get anywhere with it. We're just going around in circles and, what I'm hearing from you is that's because they're not actually addressing the real issue. There's something underlying that in the system at play that's creating that blockage. Yeah, and it's a shame because they, all these people in organizations doing their, their utmost and they want to solve it. And, and what I see is that in organizations over the last, say, 50 years, maybe, maybe longer even, we've had this development of uh, best practices and good practices. So best practices like, okay, you do it in, a, you have a recipe for something and that's how you do it. You have good practices where, you know, you need some experts, some consultants maybe, or people with a lot of experience in a certain uh, way of working. And it could be experience gained in an organization, could be outside hired. Um, and eventually, by analysis and by, by good thinking, we get somewhere. But all of that is linear thinking. We make a 10-step plan based on what we have found. And for a lot of things, that works. But if you start looking at more the complexity of the current way of how companies have, have been organized, the complexity of interaction with clients or with the market, complexity of interaction between different teams with both individuals, but also the underlying organizational system. You have to start looking differently. Linear solutions don't work in complexity. 
they either make the, the, the issue go away for a short term and then it comes back again. And then you do something else and it goes away again and comes back again. And some people in organizations say, well, we have this repeating pattern. In systems thinking, we would say you have a pattern that has never been solved and shows its face every time. And you kind of like dampen it. Um, or if you do apply linear thinking to uh, complexity, sometimes it even makes it worse. And in complexity, what you do is, is uh, systemic, systemic uh, intelligence is one of the ways to work in, in complexity. You do one thing, you do one acupuncture needle, you do one little intervention, and then you wait a little bit to see how the system responds. And then you have a new basis to go from. So there is no 10-step plan. There is an ideal where you want to get to, where you want to go. You know, obviously, the people that come with, with issues, they, they want to go somewhere. They want to, want to either make it easier, and that's, that's, that can already be an intention. Um, but you just you do one thing, and then you see how the mobile reorganizes itself how the system reorganizes itself. And sometimes that's it, the thing is done. But as we are thinking in 10 step plans, sometimes they find that very disturbing, but it's just looking at, at, a, at a different reality almost. How do you know what intervention to do then? Um, I know it's, of course, in a way you're saying, well, the lens that you kind of find most revealing that, oh, that's the, that's the issue. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering, I guess the question is like, how do you actually identify that core issue? Because I can imagine there's a lot of noise around it. Yeah. And then, and then how do you know what intervention to do? Does that intervention kind of suggest itself organically, naturally from the, you know, from the blockage that you've identified? Uh, sometimes it does. Um, sometimes, like you say, there are more, uh, more things at hand. And then we start looking, what is the, where's the most, what we call systemic weight. What, what, what could have the biggest impact if we do a little change there? What could have the biggest impact? So we might start there. Um, yeah, and sometimes it, it, it indeed it just shows, it, shows itself. And, and sometimes we, in training, we use the metaphor for a system like, if you want to intervene in a system, um, first of all, the question that you get from somebody who comes to you um, that is the that is the gate. That is the entry into the system. But the system, you can imagine the system as a as a house with doors, a freestanding house with doors on every wall. And through that door, any of the doors, you can get inside the house. And those four lenses are actually the four doors of the house. Through any lens, you can get into the house. Um, but not every door will immediately lead you to the room where there is the most rubbish, where we need to really clean up. So you might walk into the kitchen, but actually where the work to be done is in the living room. But as everything is connected, you know, opening a window in the kitchen might already relieve a little bit. And you wait a little bit if, if that, you know, uh, if there is a big stench in the house and you think, well, you know, what is the smell here? Well, open a window, that helps. But it might not be the real reason yet. So then you walk from the, the kitchen, you walk into the living room and then you see there's a, you know, the, the table hasn't been cleaned for, for 10 days and there's still old, you know, uh, remains of, of a, a wonderful dinner there, but it's 10 days old. Well, and then you know, okay, you just need to clean the table. And that already is gonna, you know, take 90% of the, of the smell away. So it's, that's different than, okay, there is one solution or there is a best entry. And through experience, you'll start to find, not only cognitively, but you also start to sense um, what is the best, where is the, where is the most, most weight or whether we need to, to solve something, whether we need to put our acupuncture needle. And one way of, of getting more of that sen uh, sensing is to, uh, to do a consolation, which is kind of like, 
putting the different elements that, that are part of this system to put them out in the room or place them on a table with, with coffee cups and start to look at it from different angles. And sometimes you, you can just that visual can give you a lot of additional information. And, uh, and that's, that's another, that's one of the tools that we, uh, that we use and it's not the only tool. Uh, would, would, and do you ever find yourself doing, you know, Hellinger-style family constellations with organizations? Or um, well, we do organizational constellations, which are a little bit different than. Uh, you know, what we do is based on a contract that we make. So, in an organization, I always have a contract that I'll work at the organizational issue. If I notice that when we're working with a team or a group of uh, people, and I see there's, there's personal issues as well that might come out of the family system, we don't work with that in the organizational system because the organizational system, I would say nine out of 10 times is not safe enough to do that work with colleagues around. So we do that separately, either in individual work or in, uh, in a special setup where we uh, create family constellations and people know that you know everybody can come there but they all have the intention of confidentiality you don't have to work with them eight eight to ten hours a day they are there in service of uh, of doing the family constellation and help people to resolve issues uh, but organizational constellations with um, you know managers and their teams with purpose um, you can both consolate uh, individuals and abstract uh, items like the purpose or um, uh, the investment or uh, the strategic plan. And there's various ways of, uh, of applying that. Or sometimes you do a timeline as an intervention. So people go and find out what, what has been happening in the, in the past in this organization. And then we ask them to stand along that timeline and start to sense through their body where they feel that, uh, for example, they might feel some, some more anger or they might feel more disturbance or they might feel some, some more sadness, for example, when there was a trauma in the organization that hasn't been addressed or it hasn't been acknowledged. It's kind of like, oh yeah, we, we had a difficulty. Now we, we don't talk about it anymore. And going back to the principle of exclusion uh, connection that is an exclusion we don't talk about it anymore doesn't mean it's solved but we don't talk about it but in an organizational system that might still later on have an effect even when the people that were not involved in the original trauma or in the original uh, mishap what I love about what you're talking about now, and I think this is an important part of the conversation, is you mentioned sensing, um, you know, trauma within systems. And I, I wonder if you, because when I think of a system, it's not just a conceptual idea or material thing, but it's actually, you know, it has a kind of an energy to the system or a resonance to it. And I wonder for you how how you see that part of this work, if it's important to you and, you know, if you've, you've kind of in some way refined your capacity to sense a system and these blockages and acupressure points on a, on a kind of more subtle level. Yeah. I like that question. I'm actually, I'm glad that you're going there. Also realize that uh, we're talking to a coaching community. So, because I would hardly ever, um, talking to an organization that this actually is energetic work. Systemic work is actually energetic work. Um, so we, what we do, and that's, that's why the acupuncture needle um, metaphor is so, so, so right, I would say, is because you're working with the energy of the system. And um, so it's very helpful if you start to develop more and more of your own sensing uh, and um, do your personal work and, and work through all your your own mini traumas, your contractions in your body. You know, one of the one of the um, starts in our training is always that people that we we talk to the people and say, okay, 
one thing that we want to teach you is not just being able to use some of the tools and understand how systems work, but for you to become the cleanest vessel possible of doing this work. Because the less you do interpretations, the more precise you get the information. And the information can be in your belly, it could be in your heart, it could be by, by some, sometimes even clear knowing that suddenly you see it in a constellation or suddenly when you're in a conversation, the change in tonality points you that something is really going on there and then you can follow that. So becoming more sensitive and part, one part of becoming more sensitive is becoming less obsessed with yourself and with your skills and with, um, oh, how to do this. So one of my teachers in, in this systemic work early on, he said, I expect you to read a lot. I expect you to, to gain a lot of understanding and then to forget it immediately after that. And the way that I use that is that I, I have a kind of like a metaphor that I have a bookshelf behind me, like the one you're seeing right now. And that is filled with knowledge that is filled with information. So that's, I can always pull out a book off the bookshelf if I need to, but it's, it's also in my body. So I don't have to know everything. What I do is I, I have the information behind me, like I have it in the back, in, in the field behind me. And I can just be fully transparent, fully open to whatever arises, whatever people come with. And if I don't know, and one of my colleagues calls it very nicely, he said, you know, all I do is sit back and wait till the right question comes from behind my back into my field. And that's the question I ask, because that is the question that needs to be asked. And that's another way of being sensitive. So don't have all your tools in the way in front of you, but clear them away, but also be sensitive to what arises in you based on the openness of the conversation and use that and see where it takes you. And don't have an attachment that this should be the right question. Because we never know what what door we use to get into the house. I think this is really the real the realm of true transformational work for me when we're able to access that field of transformative potential where we've mm. done enough inner work that we're not caught in our own you know egoic tendency to want to deploy a method successfully or be uh, worth the money they're paying us or you know mm. and we're not seeing we're not kind of you know, there's a there's a kind of lack of distance that can happen when we take on too many theoretical theoretical yeah. models of who our clients are and what things are that, and then we're trying to look through that. But there's we're, we're able to remain in this this space of presence and and sense in the way you're describing. I think I think it I think it's what I hear you describe there. I think it's part of a larger shift that's perhaps required in these times. You know, the Newtonian Enlightenment era kind of legacy of, of uh, yeah, linear thinking and, and, and rationality where we're trying to solve problems all the time and, and mm -hmm. analyze things. And we're moving into a new era now where yeah. we, we see the, the fallacies of that. We're, we see the gifts it brought, but we see the, that it's not enough anymore to solve the complexity we're in. Yeah, I would totally agree that, that it's not enough anymore. It still has its place. And, and the, the thing is that all of us are sensitive beings. We are sentient beings. We know, and, and, and uh, that's, uh, um, we know that when we walk into a bar, our body will tell us if it's the right thing, thing to do. Even if you have, you know, regularly say every weekend you go to your own pub or you go to your own bar and uh, meet your friends there, have a drink. And normally you always walk, walk in, just walk in. And then someday you want to walk in and it's almost as if the door doesn't open up, but actually it's your inner saying, maybe not today. And I had this once, well, at least once. I had this once when I was younger. 
when I wasn't really paying attention to it yet, but somehow I went to the next door neighbor's bar. And um, I think about half an hour later in the bar that I used to go to, a big fight broke out, which I normally would have been in the midst of it because I would have been there. And just because there was something that is kind of like an inner voice was saying, not today, I went to another one where I also knew there were some friends and I just missed, missed uh, the fight. And I was happy about that. But we have those, you know, we have, we are sentient beings. We just very often have forgotten it because we've been taught that we need to solve everything with our head, which is a beautiful thing, but it's not the only thing. And, and once you allow the other information sources to join you, a, it becomes a lot easier in, in the coaching work and, and for your client, it becomes a lot easier because they don't have to take the hurdle that you are sometimes yourself. But it also makes it makes you see the larger whole and start to look at, okay, if I help this person, but when the person goes back in that system, what's then happening? It's like an organizational system. And I think this is important. An organizational system is a system in itself independent of the people working in the organization. The only people that are connected to the organizational system initially are the founder and sometimes the one who financed. And maybe some people who have had a huge impact in the history of that organization. Those are the only people that are really connected to the organizational system so for lack of a better example i see an organizational system as a bath tub with water in it you know and if the organ the history of the organizational system is is pretty clean it has has been nice and fluent and they they are still working on their purpose the bath bath water is is transparent it's clean so when you step as a person want to work there which i call a, a passenger or or a person passing through, and it might be half a year, five years, 10 years, you're passing through a very transparent system which will allow you to, sh to show your qualities freely. You can step into the bath and you're not, you don't get dirty yourself. What if there is a history in that organization with a lot of contractions, with a lot of patterns that, that are constricted? I would Reckon see that as, as a, a bathtub with brown colored water. And when you step into that bath, you immediately become colored. You immediately become, and it could be orange, could be blue, it could be any color, but you become stained by the energy of the organization. And whatever you do, you have limited access to your potential. Even so, what, one of the things we sometimes see is that you know, sometimes you have somebody in an organization that, that will be the rebel or the person always waving the red flag or always having something to say that rest of the group or rest of the management, they don't like that. Well, you can replace that person by you know, asking them to leave. And sometimes, or very often, you see somebody else start to wave the flag and doing almost the exact same behavior. And that's when that person is sitting in the bathtub where the water is not transparent. And this person is almost being taken into service of the system to point out that something is wrong in the system. So removing that person again is not gonna solve the problem. But listening to the person might point you to a thing that you need to resolve in your organizational system or a thing, a situation, or a cultural part of the, of the organization that you really have to look at and pay attention to for the benefit of the whole system, both the organization and the people who work there. And then the, the other complexity is that sometimes the people between each other start to form a system like as if they were a family. So you have different layers in looking at organizational systems. And it's interesting to, to start to, to separate those and see if you can. And, and then suddenly it also becomes more clear.
So that's where history of an organization is, is important to look at. But also what is the interaction between the people and does it connect to the organizational system or is it of the people? So the intervention level is different. I just hear so much here the, the, the echoes between this and individual transformation where, you know, if I fight the parts of me that have been frozen or fragmented, you know, childhood parts, if I try and get rid of them or fight them, uh, you know, it locks them in my, my kind of system. It doesn't work, you know, so I actually have to begin to include them and kind of welcome them. And then through loving awareness and presence, they can begin to melt and kind of join the, the you know, a kind of inner coherence. And I hear that in this, it's like these voices that might, we might say, oh, there they go again, you know, talking about the same thing or, oh, those, those, you know, there's always this tension between those people. If we see that as a problem, then it, it, it makes a certain outcome possible. You know, it creates a certain field of possibility. But if we actually see it as information that, hey, what's going on here? This is important. Why don't we include this and give this our presence in a way that allows the information inside of it to, to you know, be seen or to flow, then that's a radically different position that, that inspires me. Yeah, yeah I, love, I love how you translate that into even simpler terms than I'm saying it. And uh, it's absolutely true, yeah. yeah. Um, it's like, like, you know, when your body, body gives you a signal that something is wrong and you ignore it, the signal might become stronger. Eventually it's gonna shout at you. Um, the, the, the only thing in organizational systems is that if you, you fire the, uh, the person who's speaking up, or if you ignore the person long enough, the person will leave and then the system loses its signal function. And then they might continue on the road that they're going and they might just might pay the price for it even, even worse. So um, yeah, I do think, and this is, this is maybe, maybe a little bit more esoteric that everything that we are as human beings, that's the only thing that we create. Everything that we, um, not invent, discover of ourselves is what we create in the outside world. Matter of fact, that, that over the last, it becomes more of a known fact that all of us are connected. And it started maybe in the 60s, in the 70s, oh, we're all connected, we're all connected. Oops, suddenly there was internet and now we're all connected through the outside world. So similarly, how how every all the you know our our body is a is a system itself. The organs individually do their function, but they couldn't create life in the individually, independent of the others. They are interdependent. They're connected, and you can replace one. Well, you can lose one kidney, but you can't lose both of them. Uh, there are some parts that are more vital. The same in organizations. You know, you lose a liver and you're really, really in deep, deep trouble. The same goes for losing your R&D department. And if there's a lot of contractions in the R&D department, for, for example, a pharma company or, or any innovative organization or that, need, that lives by innovation and discovery, it's, it's crucial. But it starts with little things. And becoming sensitive to those little things is very helpful to, to start seeing, okay, just a little thing there, just a little, little thing here, and whoops, we're back into flow. So I, I, you know, I'm an advocate for leaders to start understanding, to start using these lenses of systemic intelligence, um, which is still, um, I wouldn't call it a battle to fight because I don't like that ana analogy of war, but it's still um, yeah, a purpose to fulfill. Because if, if organizational leaders start to look through those lenses, much earlier you start to see how you can help the team, how you can help the organization to thrive. Uh, you're not going to throw out all kinds of pollution into the river because you know that's eventually coming back to you in your own household. Or 
anywhere else. So you, you know, you start looking at it more through a purpose lens, which is how can I be best of service to either my clients, the people in the world around me, and not ruin my own environment because that will eventually ruin my own organization. So, yeah. Even if you have no systemic intelligence uh, schooling or teaching or training or whatever you want to call it, if you would look at the presenting issue from a client, from yourself, at least one layer wider than you're looking right now, you already get new information, you already see it in a different light, and you might find better solutions. Because you're enlarging into a system instead of the smaller hole. And if you would put yourself in a state of opening up and embracing the larger system, you will sense it more. In other words, it will start speaking to you. And I think that is a, I find that a beautiful thing. Um, I see that my clients, I start to teach that to them as well. And then when they walk back into organizations, they start to see completely different things in their organization than before. And uh, yeah, that, that, that touches my heart and that touches my soul deeply. So maybe the, whole, the real reason is because it touches my soul. So forget everything I said before. Maybe that's the real reason. Yeah, yeah. But there's something really important in that, yeah? That's such a, a galvanizing force. Mm. Being Having one's soul touched. How that's needed in our times. And organizations yeah. have souls. Don't forget that. You, you just reminded me, I... Uh, I was in a very meaningful and tender conversation with one of the coaches rising partners the other day. And uh, we were both in tears actually. And um, I, I saw coaches rising as an entity, you know, I've already, I, I'd always, I'd always known that as a more an intellectual idea, you know, mm. or sensed it, but this was like, I literally saw like this feminine figure and I just, I was already uh, tearing up, but that just, it, it broke. It just, oh, I mean, I just started crying and what a significant poignant thing to yeah. see. Uh, such love I felt for coaches rising this profound love. Uh, yeah. It's the soul of your organization. That's what you saw. That's so beautiful. Can you imagine when people start to see the soul of the organization they work in? And if it's not, if it's hurt, that they start to help repair it. Because they're doing so much work for the organization, for the clients. And sometimes they forget to clean the bath water that they're working in every day. So, yeah. 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 That's, uh, yeah. I mean, it's already profound. In a way, it's already had a profound impact on my relationship to coaches. Right? And I, can, I can feel it. I don't quite fully know yet how that will unfold, mm. but it, I can feel it. It's something shift for me. So, yeah. But I, I want to express my gratitude, Paul. Um, you know, this, this is an auspicious podcast because it's the first time I've done one with someone in Amsterdam. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, I've done, done quite a lot of them. Um, I like that, uh, but I just, you know, we just met, we just met uh, personally mm. recently and it's real, you know, it's a real delight to be in your presence and get to know you more through your work in this way. And I, I think this is really important work, you know? Um, Thank you. Yeah. So thanks for doing this work in the world. And I, I do want to also say, where can we find out more about what you're up to? You know, you've got a program coming up soon as well. Yeah, we do. We do. Uh, since COVID, we also do uh, online programs, which prepare also, which gives you a beautiful basis. And it prepares you for advanced masterclasses that we do live, both in Amsterdam and we do one in March in Italy, because we also like to go to nice places next to Amsterdam. Um, yeah, we have, we have um, the powerofsystemicintelligence.com. If you go there, you'll find a website that is connected to our book. 
Um, I co-authored a book on uh, the power of systemic uh, navigating the complexity of mergers and acquisitions through the systemic intelligence. Um, uh, together with my co-author, we give a uh, six session basic teaching on uh, systemic intelligence and you learn how to work with the different uh, lenses. You apply that on, on your own business case. And there are little uh, triads in between the different se uh, sessions where you work with other people on their business cases. So it's a very practical, basic uh, training to, uh, to get your hands on it and uh, to start to, uh, yeah, to get acquainted uh, in the basics of working with systems, looking at systems, understanding systems. And um, as it is online, we have enough places. So you're very welcome if people want to join. Uh, like I said, the power of systemic intelligence.com. Or they can go to my own website, paulzonneveld.nl. And um, through that, you also can get to the other website. And we start on October 25th, which is a beautiful day. It was the wedding anniversary of my parents. So it was a good day to start something new. Thanks, Paul. Here we are. We're at the end of the podcast. Just a, a heads up again, if you're not on our mailing list and you want to stay in the loop about other things we create, then head to coachesrising.com. Put your name in the sign-up box there. You'll also find some of our other offerings, our online trainings for coaches there. And just want to end by wishing you well, and I'll see you again next time. Bye.